right. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it up to Galatians chapter 5. And um, typical for this series, we're going to be there, but we'll also be jumping around a little bit as we talk about the different fruit of the Spirit. But let's uh, invite Olivia up here. Um, She's going to read Galatians 5, uh, 22 through 25, and uh, we're going to pray together and jump into the Word. So if you will stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Olivia. Let's give her a hand. And let's uh, pray and go before the Lord um, as we talk about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Father, um, God, I'm grateful for um, your sovereignty. God, as we talk about kindness and goodness today, that God, that all of these fruit, um, God, are just who you are. Um, they are. And we are taking a hard look at the life of God over this series. Um, you display these fruit. They, they are your fruit. They are the fruit of the Spirit of God. Um, God, we can't produce these in and of ourselves. Um, God, but boy, do we try. So, Father, I pray that today we would see our inability, but we would also see your great ability. And, God, that we would see that all of these fruit culminate um, at the cross of Christ, that it is there where we see that we're loved. It's there where our joy is found. It's there where we see the the peace of God um, that's given to us in Jesus Christ. It's there where we see your great patience towards sinners. And God, on and on and on again we go, that as we look today at kindness and goodness, Father, we see um, your great kindness in giving us your son. So Father, thank you, and we pray that you would make us more like him over these next few minutes. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, well, as I said today, we are talking about kindness and goodness, Um, Simple words, I would say the definitions in English are a little bit different to understand um, or a little bit confusing just because kindness and love kind of go together, but then there's some nuance to it and they're a little bit different. So we're going to talk about, we're going to define these terms. We're going to talk about what they mean, um, give some examples biblically, talk about how we fail at these on a regular basis and talk about how by the spirit uh, we can produce these, um, not in and of our own selves, not by our might, not by our own power, um, but by the the work of Christ in us um, can produce these things. But to give you some context, um, if you're just joining us or maybe you've missed a couple weeks of the fruit of the spirit, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the past couple weeks um, because each week we've taken just the first couple minutes and given some context about where we fall in Galatians because that's important. And Paul kind of drops us right in the middle of a battle. Um, We grow as we battle against the flesh and as we battle to um, do things to to produce intimacy with Christ and cultivate walking by the Spirit. Um, That The the, the setting in which this passage is given is when... um, In Galatians 5, Paul mentions that the believer now has these conflicting desires, um, that we now have the Spirit of God in us when you put your faith in Christ, and now we have warring desires within us. Before I was um, saved by Jesus and before I pledged my allegiance to Christ and I started following him with my life, um, my desires were unopposed. They just were. There was no struggle within me. I just did whatever my flesh wanted. And whatever my eyes got set on that I thought I wanted in the moment, that I thought would feel good or pleasurable, I just went after it. There was no opposition. Now, there was a guilty conscience every now and then, and by God's grace, that's a gift that God's given me. You might not know this, but Romans 2 talks about how God has given us a conscience. And what is our conscience? It shows that God has written his law on every one of our hearts. So whether you know God or not, That when you do things that are inherently wrong or evil and there's this voice in you, this conscience that says, hey, that was wrong, you know what that is? It's the evidence that God's law is written on your heart, that you're made in his image. Now, God's law written on your heart through your conscience doesn't save you, but boy, is it a gift of God's grace to show you his activity in your life even before you're saved, that there's a good God who longs to lead you into righteousness for his namesake. 
But before I met Jesus, by and large, my desires were unopposed. I did what I want, I said what I want, I went where I wanted, I participated in what I wanted to, until my conscience you know, finally had enough. But then when I put my faith in Jesus, when I met my Savior, who loved me and gave himself for me, and I put my faith in him, and he put his spirit in me, now I have these conflicting desires that I don't do the things I used to do. And my, the, my flesh still is bent towards those things and I still get tempted and lied to that those things are gonna give me something or satisfy me or give me security. But now I have the spirit of God in me who's pointing me to the truth and saying, no, those things won't give you what they're promising. It's, it's the deeds of the flesh. I love how Paul uses the language, deeds of the flesh versus fruit of the spirit. He doesn't say deeds of the spirit. He says deeds of the flesh. These things promise instant gratification every time. Hey, give in to this thing and you'll feel better. Give in to this thing and the stress will go away. Give in to this thing and you'll get what you want. Over and over and over again. But it will never, ever satisfy. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you so much more than you want to pay every single time. But now the spirit of God is in me saying, hey, don't look at the truth in the midst of those lies. That won't satisfy. This will. You don't need that. You have all that you need in Christ. That's not going to give you security. Jesus is your only security in life and death. Hey, that's not going to give you pleasure. The only pleasure is in the presence of God. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you see the, the conflict here of the believer? So we will grow as we struggle, as we battle. Battle against the desires of our flesh, against the lies, against the temptations. And we battle to walk by the spirit. Deeds of the flesh versus fruit. It takes a while for fruit to grow. It grows by daily cultivation cultivating a relationship with God through Christ by the Spirit of God working in us. But there's this conflict that goes on in the believer. And what does the Spirit always do? John 14, 15, and 16, he points us to Christ. His purpose is to glorify Christ. He will point us to the person of Christ and in his character we'll see today that Jesus, in his character, he is kind and he is good. He is loving, he is joyful, he is peaceful, he is patient. And on and on we go. But he'll point us, the Holy Spirit's job is to, to make much of Christ. So he will point us to the person of Christ and his character. He'll point us to the finished work of Christ in the gospel. And he will point us to the word of Christ where we learn all of these things. But the Spirit is going to constantly point us back to who Jesus is, what he's done, and where we can learn these things in his word over and over and over again. The Spirit will empower you and enable you to, to see the truth in the midst of the lives and give you the ability to say no to those things as he reminds you of all that you have in Christ and all that Christ has done. This is the struggle of the believer. This is the battle. If you're a Christian in here, this is the daily battle of the Christian is to, to say no to the flesh. Why? Because we're legalists? No, this isn't about legalism. Some of you think that this side of the stage is Christianity, just all the things you, can, you have to say no to now. No, Paul says we're not bound by the law. This isn't about legalism. This is about all of these things promise life and they bring death to me. They promise freedom and they brought me bondage. So I'm not gonna run back to those things. They hinder my intimacy with the Lord. And now I walk by the spirit. I, I resist these things because I'm all about legalism. No, but because those things hurt me and hurt the ones that I love, hurt my future, hurt my intimacy with the Lord. And now I start walking towards intimacy with Christ. It's the battle of every believer every single day. And it's the battle you're going to face until you go and meet the Lord. Because until he completes the work, Philippians 1.6, he who began the work will complete the work at the day of Christ Jesus. Until that day of Christ Jesus, whether he returns or you meet him, until that day, your sinful flesh is still gonna be there. And it's the daily battle of every believer to walk by the Spirit. And he produces these things in us because they're his fruit. And a couple of reminders 
is that these are singular. We talked about this, that um, you've probably noticed this, that each of these, a lot of them go together. They grow together and they go together, right? We're talking about kindness today. Um, It has a lot to do with being loving. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. That's two of the fruit inside of the other one. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And what is love? It's patient and it's kind. You see how all of these kind of go together, but they also grow together because Paul uses the word fruit in the singular. That it's not that, hey, I've been walking by the Spirit and I've gotten really, really patient, but I'm not kind at all. That's not how that works. That they go together. They're also not your temperaments. We spent a good bit of time on this, but they're not just your God-given personality. I'm a laid-back people pleaser. If you want to know my personality, that's it. Um, I don't like conflict. I love to people please. It's kind of my bent. It's not a great thing at all. Um, And I'm pretty laid back. That does not make me display the gift of patience. Me having a laid back personality is not the patience of walking by the spirit, right? Because I can get worked up about the things that I care about and I'm suddenly impatient. I'm just selectively impatient. That's all that that means being laid back. I'm a selectively impatient person, right? Being a people pleaser is not the, the, you know, the fruit of love. It's not. Biblical love, as we talked about in the first week, is so much more than people pleasing. So yes, God has given you temperaments and different facets and different you know, bents of your personality, and all of those are great. They have great positives, but they also have great weaknesses, but none of those are the fruit of walking by the Spirit. Um, so kindness, the word kindness in the Greek, and when Paul's listing out the fruit, um, the word kindness is Christotes. And what it means is essentially it means loving deeds. And you're like, okay, how is this different than love, which is agape? Um, love is more of this internal condition, this internal feeling of love towards someone. Kindness biblically is Loving deeds towards someone, loving words, loving actions, loving deeds is the best way to put it. It's useful deeds, it's helpful deeds, it's benevolent deeds, it's, it's, but it can also be in words. Um, but this is what it's referring to, where God's great love for us is just, it, it's who he is. God feels this great love for us, and he also does deeds that are loving towards us, um, but all of those are, are also gifts of his kindness, that God is kind in who he is. First John, God is love. And we know that everything that God does for us is loving. But today we're talking about the kind of the nuance, which is kindness. It's these loving deeds towards someone else. Uh, John puts it this way in first John three eighteen. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but how in deed and in truth that it's these kind deeds towards one another, that we can all say things and do things, but are they kind towards one another? And this is where um, what I love about the fruit is a lot of them temper one another, right? We talked about how love rejoices with the truth, and some of us, hey, I'm just gonna go through my life and just tell people the truth, tell people what they need to hear. But if it's not coupled with kindness, then it's not loving, right? Love is never separate from the truth. But if your truthful speech towards someone that you're trying to be loving also doesn't have kindness along with it, then you can call it being truthful, but you can't call it being loving, right? Because love is always truthful, yes, but it's never separated from kindness. And there's a kind way to lovingly tell someone the truth. It doesn't mean we, we you know, never tell people hard things, but there's a kind and a gracious way to tell people the truth that communicates love towards a brother or sister in Christ. Does that make sense? It's kindness. He says, let us not love in word or deed, or word or talk, but in deed and truth. And here's what I want you to see. Scripture is very clear that every single thing we have in this life is because of the kindness of God. That God owes us nothing. God doesn't, we don't deserve anything from God. That everything we have is from him. James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from God. That all that you have, your job, your health, your material blessings, your house, your children, 
we didn't do anything to earn any of this. We honestly didn't do anything to create any of this. That everything we have is because of the kindness of God. I'll never forget. Um, I had the opportunity when I was in college. Um, a buddy of mine at school had an uncle who's a full-time missionary in Honduras. So one fall break, he found a couple of us of his buddies and just said, hey, do y'all want to go do a mission trip to Honduras? Yeah, sure. You know, who are we going with? What organization? He's like, we're not. Like, it's just us going to hang out with my uncle for a week. And, you know, so you're buying your own flight, you're doing your own thing. And we end up in Honduras and we had no idea what we were going to get into, but one of his ministry partners connected us to, you know, 12 different schools in the seven days we were there and TV and radio, just sharing the gospel with anybody who would listen, walking through the street and sharing the gospel. But I will never forget when I realized, like I knew logically that the things I had, you know, weren't because I'm smart or because I've, you know, arrived or because I'm good and I've, I've earned this life for myself. Um, but I'll never forget when that truth, you know, kind of became real to me, um, the, the last day we were there, before we, you know, the day we were heading home, uh, we went to the city dump in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And uh, I, you know, had seen a couple of, you know, dumps, you know, there's, you know, the town dump that smells off of Wolf River here in Carville and all those kind of things. Like, I've, I've seen some of those places, um, but I had never seen anything like this. Um, I mean, it was miles and miles and miles and miles of trash. And it was almost the scene of a movie because in different spots, like you saw like smoke and ash and stuff coming up, like it was so surreal. And what struck me the most is there was people living there, um, taking the trash that was nearby. The, the trucks just come and dump it and nothing happens to it after that. It's just a big, you know, hundreds of acres of place where trash gets dumped. And there were people living there because they had nowhere else to live. And they would, you know, kind of rummage through the trash to find their next meal um, I saw a truck come and dump food and people just gravitate towards, you know, the freshest pile of trash. And there were children born in the city dump. And it was, I mean, we, we went there, we made sandwiches, we prayed, we were doing all, we were gonna try to talk to as many people as we could and, and meet some needs. But I remember there's four of us in a bus full of sandwiches. And just as we started, I just get moved to tears and go sit in the back of the bus as all of my buddies just start doing ministry because it hit me um, out of nowhere. The whole, I, don't, I assume it was the Holy Spirit, but God could have easily allowed me to be born into the city dump in Tegucigalpa, Honduras than in Carville, Tennessee to a family with a mom and a dad and a job and income. I did nothing to deserve where I was born. It is solely a gift of the sovereignty of God and his kindness I haven't done anything to, to have the health that I have, the gifts that I have, the ability to speak that I have, any of those. I, I've done nothing to earn those. I've done everything to not deserve those, right? I have taken the good gifts of God and said, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna take credit for them. I'm gonna take glory for them. I'm not gonna appreciate them as much as I can, but I have done everything to squander all of the kindness of God. And every single thing that I have is a gift of his kindness. Every single good and perfect gift comes from above. That every part of my life is the kindness of God. The fact that I'm alive today, you all know this, that the longer you live on this earth, as teenagers, you might still feel a little invincible, but the longer you live on this earth, you realize just how fragile our lives are. That I could go to the doctor tomorrow, my life will radically be different until I go meet the Lord that every single molecule and fragment and piece of matter and stoplight, God is sovereign over every moment of my life. He's kept me alive. He's kept me in good health. I like to think that I make some decisions that contribute towards that, but God could end it in a moment. And the good thing about it is I don't want you to think that God's just waiting for you to mess up and then he's gonna, to punt. no. God loves to be kind to you. He's a father in heaven who loves to give good gifts to his children. But we all need to, to take a minute and just appreciate the kindness of God in our lives. To look around at our children in health, even in sickness, and say, Lord, you're kind in this moment. The fact that we even have these moments 
is the kindness of God. In sickness or in health, in suffering or in tragedy, all of it is a gift of the kindness of God. And it hit me in that moment in Honduras. Just God, I didn't do anything to determine where I was born or the quality of life that I would have. And none of those things satisfy my soul, but they're all just gifts of your kindness. And it struck me forever. But here's the thing. For some reason, it's innate in us, and it's not just specific to Christians. Um, It's specific to human nature. But we struggle to be kind, don't we? I can think about yesterday and name seven or eight things that I have done that weren't kind, right? Just being inconsiderate. The tone in which I say things. The, the level of patience that I refuse to give to others, right? There are just so many things. For some reason, there's the, the sinful nature in us struggles to be kind. And the opposite of kindness, if kind, kindness is um, loving deeds towards others, the opposite of kindness is rudeness or selfish deeds, not doing things for others, but doing things for myself, doing things in a way that's rude. And boy, do we struggle with this. In fact, The good news is we're not the only people to first struggle with this. This is the whole book of Philippians. If you know the context of Philippians, Philippians was the, probably the apostle Paul's favorite church. He brags on them in three other books of the Bible. He talks about how generous they are and how helpful they are, but they weren't getting along. Every single chapter, all four chapters in the book of Philippians has a charge to the church to get along with one another. And I know that might sound strange to you, right? Christians who can't get along. You know, take it by faith. It happens, right? It happens. But we struggle as Christians to be kind. And if you picked up on it, the word um, in Greek for kindness, Christotes, is meant to sound like Christos, who is Christ. It's meant to have resemblance to who Christ is. But for some reason, Especially in some circles of the world, Christians are known to not be kind. My brother is a server at the Majestic Grill, and he will tell you, hands down, the Majestic Grill's on Main Street downtown, um, he will tell you that he's trying to you know, minister, to, he's built relationships with his coworkers and the other servers there and the kitchen staff, but he says, by and large, what gets in his way of doing ministry is hands down at the Majestic Grill, the one shift you don't want to work is Sunday lunch. He says, it's the shift that no one wants. And he says, the staff there are convinced that Christians aren't kind because they come in, they eat, they get served, they make a mess, and they don't tip the people that have served them for the last hour and a half. And he says, that's the one barrier that gets in the way of gospel ministries. They see the real lives of Christians. And they go, they're just not kind. How do you follow Christ and not be kind? Um, it was Gandhi. Many of you know who Gandhi is. He was an Indian lawyer in the mid-1800s, or 1850 and on to the early 1940s. Um, he has a famous quote, and he says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians because your Christians are unlike your Christ. And he's watching people who claim to follow Jesus, and he says, no one's kind to one another. We bite and devour one another, as Paul says in Galatians chapter five, or that's chapter six, midway through. But he says, we're just going after one another, biting and devouring one another. Um, I had a friend who was telling me about his college experience. He said they have a a Christian uh, fraternity kind of section there at their college, and they have two men's Christian fraternities. And he said, every single time the two men's Christian fraternities play basketball against each other, they have to get extra referees to keep the Christians from arguing and fighting one another. And he's like, I've never understood that they don't see what kind of um, message that sends to the rest of campus, that the two Christian fraternities need extra referees. I've been in men's Christian basketball leagues also. Um, Chief guilty party right here. I've done it. I'm not telling you something I haven't done. But for some reason, we give into the flesh in those moments and it doesn't work itself out in kindness. Um, I'll never forget. I was in church one day years ago, crowded room, and uh, 
many of you know when a crowded room happens, there's people that come in late. And there was this guy on like the second row and, you know, single mom is trying to get to church and she's late and she's kind of sneaking through the row and she accidentally brushes this guy as his eyes are closed and his hands are raised and bumps him. And he gives her the dirtiest look I've ever seen. And looks at her and then throws his hands back up in worship. And I remember thinking, dude, do you think God cares anything that you have to say to him after the way you just treated her? But for some reason, as Christians, we struggle to be kind with one another. And here's the counterfeit. The one thing I love, if, you've, if you haven't read Tim Keller's Galatians for you, um, it's a great study um, through the book of Galatians. I would highly recommend it. It's a shorter commentary. If you're into commentaries, this is a short one, easy to pick up. But for each fruit of the Spirit, he gives the definition of one. Um, he gives some examples, but then he also gives the counterfeit. And he says the counterfeit to kindness is manipulative good deeds. Manipulative good deeds. It, it, it's the counterfeit. It looks like kindness, but it's a fake. It's the $100 bill that looks like the real thing, but it's not. And he says, you want to know the counterfeit to kindness? It's manipulative good deeds. It's helping those that will only help you back. Jesus has some words to say about that, as we'll read in just a second. It's also helping those so that one day you'll exchange your, your help for something in return. Later, if your deeds towards someone, if your kindness towards someone, if you're doing those things so that one day you can remind them of what you did for them and ask for something in return, you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for you. You're walking around putting people in debt to you so that you can um, call on that debt one day later. That's not a genuinely kind deed. That's manipulation. If the first time you get in an argument someone, you pull out the scorecard of all that you've done for them, we have to ask, did you actually do it for them out of the kindness of your heart or did you do it to exchange it one day for good behavior and for compliance? The counterfeit is manipulative good deeds. Kindness is a loving deed for someone else with nothing in return. And we know it, it's hard to describe, but we know it when we see it. When one of our children just all of a sudden says something nice to their siblings, what do we do? We stop and mark the moment, don't we? Hey, that was very kind of you to say. And what are we doing when we say that? We're acknowledging you didn't have to say that, no one was making you say that, you're not expecting anything else, and you just bless someone, a loving deed towards someone else. It was just genuine kindness not expecting anything in return, not because they're gonna compliment you, right? We've all been there. Hey, you're really awesome. And then we just wait. Like, don't you wanna say something about me now, right? Like, you're really great. You're really talented. You're really good at sports, whatever it is. And we just, okay. Now, what do you have to say about me, right? That's not kindness. That's manipulation. That's manipulative good deeds. It's the counterfeit to kindness. And where do we see the kindness of God on full display? I need to move so we can talk about goodness for a second. We see it in Christ, that none of us deserve the kindness of God in our lives. And the ultimate kindness is not that God has given us material blessings, because our problem was way deeper than just material needs. You know that we have a problem so much deeper than just a lack of stuff. We have a sin problem. And the greatest gift of God's kindness is not that he's given us stuff, although that is kind of him to do. It's that he's given us his son. Paul tells us in Ephesians that Christ is God's kindness on full display. He says it in Ephesians 2. He says in uh, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is our condition, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the, the devil a spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, right, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's why. So that, here's the purpose. Why did Christ raise us? Why did he save us as a free gift of his grace? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It is a gift of the kindness of God that you can be saved and have a relationship with the God who made you in his own image. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You wanna know how to be kind? It's you remember the kindness of God towards you. We've said it every week and we're gonna keep saying it. This is not a series to give you three tips to be kind this week, right? Because we will fail at all three of those and then we'll be tempted to show up next week and act like we did a great job. The way that you and I will be kind with one another is not if we remember three tips that all start with the same letter, is that if we remember how God in Christ has been kind to us, that I don't deserve his kindness, that I've squandered his kindness in so many areas of my life, that everything I have is because of his kindness, and the fact that I can know the God who made me intimately is all because of the kindness of God in Christ. And in fact, you'll see in scripture that the fuel for us to be kind is always the gospel. Paul says this in Titus 3. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What's he saying? Be kind and love one another. Why? Because that was us. Those people who you feel like don't deserve your kindness, that was you before Christ. And what did God do? He looked on someone who was not kind and did not deserve his kindness and he freely gave his kindness in Christ Jesus. Remember who you were. Remember what God has done. And when we remember the kindness of God in sending us Jesus, we'll be kind to one another. We will. You wanna know what will slowly erode a church it's not a big theological disagreement or a political disagreement. It's not. Those will implode a church. You know what will erode a church? Is we keep gathering and just suddenly, all of a sudden, just over time, we just stop being kind to one another. Or we become this place of truth and we get proud and talk about all the truth that we're learning and the, the classes we're going to and you know um, all the knowledge we have, but there's no kindness towards one another. When we stop saying hi to one another and asking how we're doing and encouraging one another, that's what will slowly erode a church. It's the difference between a lighthouse and a campfire. Both of them have light. A lighthouse has tons of light, but it's also really, really cold. A campfire has light, but it also has warmth. That we wanna have light, we wanna have the truth. We're gonna keep preaching the gospel. But if we show up and we're all about truth and it's just cold in here, not physically, but you know, spiritually, then we're just gonna slowly erode away. Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, complete my joy by getting along and being kind to one another. You wanna know a pastor's dream? It's a church that loves one another and is kind to one another, all for the glory of Christ and what he's done and his kindness given in Jesus. That's what Paul says. That we want to be a place where, yes, the light of Christ is shown and put on full display, but it's also warm to be in here. Why? Because the people of God and the people of Christ are displaying the kindness of Christ to one another. That's what will allow us to continue to grow. But you'll see the gospel is the fuel. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. Remember the kindness of God and you'll be kind and forgive each other. 
Remember all that God's done to you in his kindness, and you'll respond with kindness. This is what the Spirit does. This is why the Spirit produces this fruit in us. What's the Spirit gonna do? It's going to point us back to all that Jesus has done. And when the Spirit reminds us of what Christ has done and what we have in the gospel, we will respond with the fruit of the Spirit. We'll respond with love, we'll respond with peace, patience, kindness, all the like. Um, Last scripture, and then we'll move on to goodness really quickly. He says this, Jesus says this in Luke 6. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, right? What's gonna be the fuel for us to do that? Love our enemies and do good to those who hate us and bless those who curse us. It says, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love you. This is the counterfeit kindness. Just loving those who will love us back. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Why? For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. What's the motivation for us to love our enemies and love those who don't deserve it is when I remember that I was ungrateful and I was evil and God has been kind to me. God has shown his kindness to someone as ungrateful and evil as me. I watched this video. It's the most random video. My wife sent it to me on Instagram this week, um, but it's this guy on the street and I think it was in New York and uh, blue collar guy, you could tell, just struggling to get by. And someone pulls him aside and says, hey, do you believe in Jesus? And he said, yeah. And they said, what's the first thing you're going to ask Jesus when you get to heaven? And his response is, why me? And it was the most humble, tenderhearted response you could ever, it's, it's the response we're all going to have. Why would you choose me? Why would you save me? Why would you show your kindness in Christ to me? I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. In fact, I deserved the complete opposite. And this man, just as humbly as he could, said, that's the only thing I want to ask him. You mean I get to experience intimacy with you forever and run the streets of gold and have no pain, no sorrow, no... Why me? I don't deserve this. This is all of our response. Is God, why would you be kind to someone like me? And when we truly remember that, What's naturally gonna flow out of us by the spirit of God working in us is kindness towards one another. All right, the last thing, couple of, of points around goodness, and uh, we should have dedicated a week to each of these, but we're, we're making it, all right? So goodness, uh, the Greek word is ag- agathosune. Um, agathos is, just means good in the Greek. Um, what it means here, and this is interesting for us because in English, we no longer have a word for, or a definition for the word good. Um, everything is good. Parents, you know this. How was class? It was good. How was that movie? It was good. How was, you know, school? It was good. How was the party over there? It was good. Uh, we actually had a rule in my house growing up when we got into teenage world and no longer wanted to have conversations with our parents um, that my mom, uh, anytime she asked us or my dad asked us how something was, we were not allowed to say the word good. Uh, we weren't allowed to say good or fine or any equivalent of the word good. And it was a rule in our home. Uh, Because we, out of respect for my mom, she deserved for us to give her something in the conversation that she could actually work with instead of a blanket, oh, it was good. And no one knows what that means. So, you know, we would get creative. Like it forced us to think as functional human beings and we would say things like it was boring. And we had to get creative and she finally had something to work with though. And she would respond with, okay, what was the most boring thing about it? And what was the least boring? But we had something to keep the conversation going instead of this blanket kind of stiff arm. Uh, It was good. But that's all of us, right? You walk through the lobby. Hey, how you doing? Oh, we're good. 
right? Meanwhile, my son didn't sleep at all yesterday. I was struggling. I was impatient with my wife. I had a terrible tone. I didn't feel like I got to study. And on and on and on we go. Oh, I'm good, right? It's this blanket kind of stiff arm. Everything's good. We're all good. Everybody's good here. No questions needed. No further investigation, please. And then suddenly you'll stumble along the person that you're expecting just kind of the good, you know, hey, how you doing? And then they stop and kind of put their arms on their, you know, hips and they are honest with you. And it's this, this gentle reminder from the Lord, oh, right, that's me too. But I didn't care enough to tell someone what was really going on with me. So I just gave them the blanket, kind of stiff arm, good. But good means so many things. That's all I was trying to illustrate, that we no longer have a definition for the word good. Uh, the word good in the Greek um, is a positive moral quality towards others. It's anything that is morally right, anything that is morally positive towards other people. Um, and students, you need to know this, that all goodness starts with God. Everything he does is good. Everything he says is good. Everything he gives us in our lives is good. And here's the problem. And here's the, the tension that we have in our culture. And here's the couple minutes on goodness. Is we see that all that God does is good. Every single thing. It's the story of creation. If you read Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth, calls them good. He creates the sky, says it's good. He creates Adam and Eve, says it's very good. And what's the first thing he says that's not good? Man to be alone, right? God saw that it was not good for the man to be alone. And what does he do? He creates something even better. He gives us a helpmate. He creates woman. And now you've got everything in creation is good. Humanity's good. Our relationship with God is perfectly good. And what happens? Goodness gets broken. Genesis 3, the fall of man. And now creation is no longer good. It's a good gift from the Lord because he's given it to us, but now it doesn't function as if it's perfectly good, right? Creation, Romans 8 says it's groaning. It's longing for redemption. And just like creation was broken, guess who else became broken because of the fall? Us. Now we aren't good, right? If you looked, if you, teenagers especially, parents, if you got to watch a movie of my life, I would say if you got to watch a movie of my last week, you would go, I, 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 yeah, I don't know if that person's good, right? Like, I don't know if in and of himself. Why? Because there's the sin nature in us that we, in and of our own self, in and of our own flesh, we are not good people. We do bad things to one another on a regular basis. We do bad things to the people we love. We lie to them, we manipulate them, we um, are angry towards them, we're impatient towards them, that objectively we're just not good. But the good news of the gospel is the only one who was good came down to earth and lived a perfectly good life, morally upright, obeyed the law of God fully and died for the evil ones to make the evil good. And now by God's grace, he looks at me and declares me good and righteous and holy. And now he puts a spirit in me and I can do things that are objectively and morally good. And here's the struggle, teenagers. The struggle is what is good? Because culture would love to tell you that good is subjective. That goodness is based on what feels good in the moment. That's what subjective means. Objective means it's outside of you and it's fixed, right? Regardless of what situation it's in, helping someone else is good every time, right? It's objectively just a good thing to do, helping someone. It's objectively true in every situation. Subjective is based on your feelings, based on your perception, based on what you want in the moment. And culture would love to tell you that things that are the definition of good is very subjective. That good is based on how you feel. Scripture tells us that good, God gets to decide what is good. And it's objective and it's outside of you. And his word gets to tell us what's good and what's wrong and what's evil. Does that make sense? God has given us his word to tell us what is good. And he says in Isaiah 5 verse 20, he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. This is the world that we live in today. 
us deciding subjectively what we think is good and what we think is evil. And he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There are special, intense instructions from Jesus to anyone who would lead children astray and lead them towards something that is evil but calling it good. Some of the harshest words in the Bible are for those people who call evil good and good evil. But this is, the, this is the key for us, especially for you teenagers in the room, is the world will constantly tell you that good is subjective. It's the lie that launches a million sins, is do what feels good to you in the moment. Goodness is subjective, and it's based on your feelings, and it's not. It's what happened in Genesis 3 in the garden, right? Don't eat from this tree. And what does the enemy say? Did God actually say that? No, here's what the tree will make you feel like. It will open your eyes and you'll be like God. Those things are good, aren't they? Calling what is evil, good. It's the lie that the enemy's gonna prey on you and prey on all of us over and over and over again. Hey, that will make me feel good. And it never truly satisfies. It never does. Over and over again, we see, Romans 3, that we're not good. No one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks for God, right? All of us have turned and gone astray, turned aside, become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And you've probably heard this from a stage like this multiple times, but the idea that God allows bad things to happen to good people. Um, the problem with that statement over and over again is we're not good people. We're not. In fact, the only time a bad thing happened to a good person was once at the cross. The only one good took all of the bad so all of the evil people could become good in Christ. That's the goodness of God. And what's so beautiful about that is that God can even use students what doesn't feel good in the moment for our good. That's the beauty of the gospel is goodness isn't just based on what makes us feel good. God can use the most painful moments in your life for your good to make you more like, him, more like Jesus, to, to, to draw you to himself. Romans 8, 28, we know in all things, what? God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That God can, this is, this is discipline in a nutshell. Something that doesn't feel good in the moment. For what? For our good. To grow us, to sanctify us, to mature us, to make us more like Christ. That's the beauty. Goodness is not subjective. It's not what makes you feel good in the moment. It's objective and it's fixed and it's what God declares good in his word. Chief of all being good is God himself. That he is good in all that he does. Over and over again, he is good. Psalms 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Psalms 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. That we see the goodness of God on full display in our lives. And for the sake of time, I wanna get you out of here on a good time. We're gonna wrap up there. But here's the gospel. There's this moment in Romans chapter two where Paul talks about this. He talks about the kindness of God, the goodness of God. He talks about the evil of man in Romans chapter one at the end. And he says this, and here's where I wanna put this before you as a church. Romans chapter two. He's addressing the people who, who are evil in deeds, who are not good, who are not kind, which is all of us. And he says, don't just think that because there's a kind God in heaven that you're gonna get a free pass for your sin. He says this in Romans two. He says, uh, verse two, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. He's talking about evil deeds. Do you suppose, O oh man and O oh church, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume that on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? What is he saying here? He's saying that all of us, unkind, impatient, not good, in and of our own selves, evil people. He says, yes, it's true that there is a good God in heaven and he's kind. 
But don't just assume because there's a good God in heaven that he's gonna give you a free pass on your sin. And what does he say at the end? No, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The kindness of God isn't just to give you a free pass. It's it's not what it's for. The cross of Christ isn't isn't to give you a free pass on your sin. It's meant to, to change your heart from the inside out, to see the love of God on full display and the wrath of God on full display at the cross and to lead us to change and to say, wait, a savior like that, who's good and who's right and who's perfect and who's kind, he would die for me. He would take the cross that had my name on it. And the love of God and the kindness of God leads us to change, to put our faith in Christ, not to get a free pass to go and be our own Lord, but to fall down on our knees and say, no, he is Lord. He took my cross. He took my shame. He took the evil that I deserved. And now he's, I'm following him with my life. That the kindness of God in your life, in creation and all that he's given you and in the gospel is meant to lead all of us to repentance. So if you're in here today and we've talked about all that God is and all that he's done that's good and all that he does that's kind, if you wanna know where it's supposed to take you, it's supposed to take you to the end of yourself where you say, you know what, I'm not those things. And I can't try harder to be those things. I can't be good in and of myself. I deserve the wrath of God. But in his kindness, Jesus has took it for me. And now out of a heart of gratitude, I wanna follow him. I'm gonna put my faith in him. I'm gonna trust in him. He took my cross and he rose from the dead. So I'm running after him. And the more that the spirit reminds us of this transaction, that evil people have received the kindness and the goodness of God, the more that the Spirit keeps pointing us to that, the more we walk by the Spirit, the more we will be a people who are kind and who do what's good towards one another. Amen? So let's respond and praise God and sing to God because of his kindness and his goodness in sending his Son to us, a people who don't deserve it. Amen? Father, each week, we get to behold the goodness of God in Christ. And Father, I pray that that is not just a Sunday rhythm for us, but God, daily, your spirit would point us back to the goodness of God that we see in Christ Jesus, a people undeserving, a God unobligated, who's given us an indescribable gift in giving us Christ. God, we don't deserve it, but man, have you poured out your love lavishly on us and your son. So God, help us to be a people um, who respond with love, God, respond in kindness to those that don't deserve it because, God, that was us. We didn't deserve all that you've given us. We, we don't deserve it, but you're a good God and you're kind towards your children. So, God, we sing to you out of a response for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray.